Let's pray. Father, we, we do just simply confess as we just sang. Lord, we need you. Maybe even for some, as we come in this room, we, we desperately know how needy we are, or maybe others who, who don't. Lord, I, I pray, I ask that you would help us this morning to come before you as we open your word, as we consider the depths of, of who you've called us to be. In the midst of the trial and the struggle of this world, Lord, we recognize today we, we need you. So help us now as we open your word. Help us now as we, as we consider your truth. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to continue in our Living Generously um, um, series. And um, in a minute we're going to show a video um, this is our fourth week out of five. Next week, we'll conclude um, this. And so you're going to find out what's going on with Frank's family. Um, but if you haven't been with us, we've been watching a series of videos. And so if you haven't been with us, you're out of luck. You're not going to get it. Just kidding. No. Uh, um, Frank's been on a journey. Frank Donovan and his family have been on a journey. And Frank especially has been on a journey. And what the videos have done is shown into a man's heart of, of, of really what he treasures most. And last week we saw that he moved into a place where he was becoming generous and decided he was just going to start writing out checks. And God had something else in store for Frank. And he began to serve others and began to see the benefit of relationships. And we've seen a man's softening of his heart. And at the end of the video last week, and what we talked about in the sermon last week was really this kind of, the illustration was a spoon is for serving yourself and a ladle is for serving others. And what we talked about is ultimately we have been served to a degree that we can't even fathom by the Lord Jesus. He, he was the ultimate example of a ladle who he poured himself out on behalf of us to cover all of our sins, and in return, we don't live our lives serving ourselves, but in return, we, we serve others because of the, the, the way in which we've been served by Jesus. So this morning, watch with me as we continue this journey with Frank and his family. He said there... Imaginary walls are just building, <clears throat> being wise. His response was, I guess when we stop seeing it as our money. <clears throat> you know, I, I identify with that video um, in multiple ways. One, I've been the guy yelling at the nurse and the doctor, saying, I want to go see my wife. Why won't you let me go back? I don't know if you've been there twice in my life. I've been that guy. And if you're the nurse in the room, really sorry for how I treated you. Um, <clears throat> there's something about tragedy, unexpected things that reveal something inside of us. The towers that we've built up, the imaginary walls. This morning as we talk about towers as we think about the things we've built up. I want us to first to set the table a little bit. First, 
suffering in this world, I, I really think there's two, two types of suffering for the Christian. Um, one, it's not just for the Christian, it's for all peoples, um, all people, and that would be this, um, natural. Suffering is going to happen. If it hasn't happened to you, it will. Um, it, there, there is a decay in our world. If you've been here very long, you know I talk about that a lot. There's just a suffering that if we went around the room, we could all talk about the struggle and the trial of our life. It is natural, and it's going to happen, and your life cannot escape from it. Now, you can live in la-la land, not like the movie, but like this, like la-la land, and, and act like it's all cool and my life is all good and I've got it all together. And I think a lot of people do. I think, I think there's a lot of people that just shed away the bad stuff and act like it's not there. But it is. It, it is there. And so there's the natural. It's, it's true for everyone. It's going to happen. And then for the Christian, there's this other kind of suffering, and it's willful suffering. It's where I put myself in a position where... I'm going to have hardship, and I'm going to have trial, and I'm going to have struggle for something greater. For, for a greater cause, I would say for the greatest cause, and that is for the kingdom of God and for the Lord. And so in this, there's these two types of suffering, and so I, I think it's important to distinguish the two because what we're going to talk about today is, is the towers we build up in our life, where our hopes and dreams are found, um, and so ultimately, I think the scriptures help us find hope through the natural sufferings and hope through the willful sufferings that we step into in our life for the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18, 10, and 11, it was quoted in the video. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Proverbs 18, 10, 11, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. See, and there's this deception that we see, and we saw it with Frank in the video, and we've seen it as we've watched. His wealth was his strong city. A high wall in his imagination. But when tragedy strikes, the high wall, the strong city, easily crumbles because it can't save it can't get us through it only can do so much see because the real broken things money cannot fix and stuff cannot fix and possessions cannot fix frank experienced when life crashes reality comes now i will say that there is a depiction in this maybe that's too picturesque because i'm not sure that when tragedy strikes reality really comes because we have an option, right? And I can tell you stories of many people that take the good road. When tragedy strikes and comes, they turn to the Lord, and their hope comes and greater faith comes. But I think the opposite can easily happen. We can become more angry. We can come, become hard-hearted. And ultimately, what we can do is we can shake our fist at God and say, why did you? Frank experienced that, and he experienced it on, on the right side. And there was not a magical protection from the ills of this world for him. Not when he began to live right did everything go well, but the natural consequences of sin and brokenness in this world affected him as they do us all. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9 speak of this 
kind of the this, this suffering that we have in the Christian faith, says um, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Again, suffering and trials, they come. But the question is, are we crushed by them or do we persevere forward through them because of the one who loved us and the one we love? See, in this world, there is a refuge, a strong tower, a strength that can be ours. And when the trials and when the struggles come, we can have our faith and hope in the strong tower, in the refuge, in the one who is strong. And as we walk through the trial, we can come out with greater faith. We can come out protected and cared for underneath his mighty hand. So in Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, lead worshiper for the kingdom, David, um, under, under David's rules, he writes this, Psalm 73, 25, 26. This is, we'll, we'll kind of zero in on this today. Psalm 73, 25, and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, this text is this text that, on the face value, it's, it, one, it's, it's a beautiful text. It's a text that, that exemplifies the heart of faith and trust. Now, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of kind of word out there around God that if you trust God, all will go well, and your life will be good, and you will be prosperous, and he will bless you, and all things will go well for you all the days of your life. There's this gospel message that is really prominent on the airwaves and around the world. But, but I'll tell you something that is actually maybe more beautiful than everything going well. It's a man or a woman, when tragedy has struck, when the loved one of their life, when the child, when something has gone completely wrong, and it is tragic and horrific, and if you were in the room, you not even knowing the person would be weeping, this kind of tragedy. And there's someone in the room who says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart but my fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Someone saying that God, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of everything, you are my strength. You are my portion. You are the one who I'm home to. Even though all of this is going to fade away, I have you because you are eternal. You are bigger than this and you are beyond this. See, what I would tell you that is more beautiful is not wealth and riches when you find God, but a hope in your heart that takes you through the tragedy and the struggle. It's a real gospel. The scripture is a a real thing that hits us where we really are because that other garbage gospel that I spoke of a minute ago, it doesn't really cut it, does it? Because it's going to fail. The stock markets may have went over 20,000 this week, but they may hit 10 next week. There is nothing in this world that we can put our hope in but him. So in this text, we're going to find three things, and I think two ways. One, we, we can look at this. What we need is resolve. Resolve in two, na- two ways. We need to resolve the questions that we have, and then as we answer and resolve those questions, we need to have resolve moving into the forward, into the future, 
where we make stakes in the ground of what we will believe and where we will place our faith. So the first thing that we see in the text is we need to resolve our audience. Resolve our audience. It says in the text, Whom have I in heaven but you? The psalmist is, is writing, he says, There's nothing desirous beyond you. Nothing in this world more desirous than you. When I look upward without you there, when I look upward without you there, it would be a vast nothingness. Whom have I in heaven but you? When I look up, there's no one else that I can place my faith in, my trust in God. You are the only one who is there. See, the psalmist realizes the critical truth. He stands before an audience of one, and that audience is the only audience that matters. See, we find ourselves before many audiences all day, every day of our lives. Each of us do. Our home, our family, if you have kids in school, the teachers, the principals, where you work, where you go, and recreation, and all the different spots of our life. And oftentimes what we do is we, 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 we place ourselves in front of all of these different groups of people, and they immediately become our audience. And we begin to morph and we begin to shape ourselves kind of as chameleons, shapeshifters into each of these situations and put on an image and put on a face that we think is acceptable in each of these groups. And somewhere in the mix, we completely lose ourselves. Oftentimes we fail to even notice it, maybe even to the place where we don't even realize that we don't even know who we are anymore because we play a role to each audience that we're placed before every day of our life. That's why the, we love the statement is, man, I love that guy because he's the same person everywhere he goes, right? This is this honorable thing that we might say about another person. Because we've lost, right? We've lost who who is it that I stand before? See, who do we stand before? God. And what is it that I need from God more than anything else? It's his peace. And when we move into each scenario, becoming someone for people, trying to gain their acceptance, trying to gain their approval, what we're really doing is saying that by doing that, I think in some way in my life I can have peace because I have acceptance from all these people standing around me in my life. And so if I can have peace through their acceptance, then my life is going to be ordered and well put together. So the scripture is clear that we do need peace, but peace is not found in the approval of others. Peace is not found in these things. I need it, and it's not found in from any, any other audience other than God. And coming to a place that knowing in my life that, that I stand before an audience of one, that I can lay my head down at night knowing that I honor the audience of one that I stood before with my thoughts, my affections, and my actions. John 14, 27 says this, Peace I leave with you, may my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, there is a heavenly peace that is ours in Jesus Christ as we stand before an audience of one covered in the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. See, but I, I think what's really happening in this text is this psalmist, and this is typical, He's speaking again to himself. And he says, whom have I in heaven but you? It's this question of, 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 of who do I have, self, in heaven but you? And he's preaching this statement of reality. And see, when life comes crashing, 
there is only one audience that we can stand before, only one that can help us, and that is legitimate, that is actual. And in that moment, I can either revert to placing my faith and trust in him or anger. See, we need to recognize who it is we stand before and say, whom have I in heaven but you? And so the question is, is this something that you have resolved in your life? Question for me, is it something that I have resolved in my life? I can easily stand before this audience today and become this or that, become someone disingenuous to who I really am, put on a face, put on a show, go home, right? Is that easy for me to do? Lots of people do that that stand in pulpits on Sunday mornings. We don't have a pulpit, so it's not a big deal. And so... Um, but have you resolved the audience in which you stand before and resolved that I stand before God, therefore, wherever I go and whatever I do, I recognize whom have I in heaven but you. See, if you haven't resolved that before the trial comes, you won't resolve it in the trial. And so if you're at a moment of peace today, I would say push into that peace And ask a deeper question in your heart is, do I recognize in the day-to-day that I stand before an audience of one? That's the Lord. So we we, we not only must resolve our audience, we must also resolve our our fascinations. Resolve our fascinations. He says, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. I don't know if you've noticed it, but our world is all about trying to fascinate us with something else. And it is constant. Right? I mean, it is a constant thing saying, you should like this. This will make you happier. This will bring you joy. This will bring you peace. And there's this constant, just flashing light at our lives saying, be fascinated with something else. And really, this idea of fascination is, is what am I captivated with? What is the thing that catches my imagination? What is the thing in which I, I look at and I think about and I long for and I move toward in my life? Questions in that is maybe in about God. Am I longing for more of him? At the root of my heart's desire, is it for God? Is it for something else? We as people are easily fascinated by all sorts of things. You know, imagine this morning, I had this book. And imagine in this book, if everybody in this room, somehow we magically knew who everyone in this room would be. And imagine in this book, if it wrote out what you do. Put your internet history, it put your, your thought life, it put everything. Where you go, everything. Imagine if I were to look and say, Steve Paquette. I were to open up the book, say, let me tell you about Steve Paquette. This is what Steve Paquette is fascinated with. Imagine if we just went around the room and did that. I mean, just being honest for ourselves this morning, does that strike fear in your heart in the littlest bit? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But the question of what are we fascinated with, see, this is really important. And just to be frank this morning, a lot of people play this game of saying, yeah, man, I love Jesus. He's awesome. And he saved me and he's the greatest. He's the best. And then we like kind of go into this other thing and we get on the internet and we're like, ah, yeah, I love Jesus, but I love X, Y, and Z. And I love this and I love that. And just so you know, like this isn't how this Christian thing works. 
Like he wants you, not just like you to pray a prayer and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Like he wants all of you. Why does he want all of you? Because he's mean and terrible and he's, he's just this, this, this glory mongering, terrible person. No, he's one who said, I loved you so much. I came and died for you on the cross. I loved you so much that I wanted you to be reunited with God because I know that this world is failing and falling and I know trials and struggles and death is at your doorstep. And because of that, I want to redeem you to myself. I want to love you. I want to care for you. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your master. I want to lead you in the way of righteousness. I don't want the evil one to steal, kill, or destroy from you anymore. I want to love you with an everlasting love. This is what he wants for us. And while he loves us like that, we run around being fascinated with such garbage. And when, and when the trial and when the struggle comes, we got nothing. And because when the trial and struggle comes, we don't have anything because we never went to the well. We never went to the place where we became fascinated with the one who is worthy of our fascination. Church, hear me on this. We, we must stop playing the games of being fascinated with things that are unworthy of our fascination. And I'm not just talking about bad things. I'm talking about good things. I'm talking about politics. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about believing a president is going to save us or kill us. I'm talking about social issues. Now, I got an opinion on all those. You want to sit and talk about them? We totally can. But the primary thing for me is Jesus Christ is Lord. He is king. and He is worthy of my fascination. And we got a world that's trying to tell us to be fascinated on every little detail outside of Jesus. And then we tag Jesus onto that. Are you with me here? We tag Jesus onto it to act like it's a thing of him. But it, just, let, just so you know, like his thing is like he wants to redeem the world. He wants his fame and his renown and his glory spread, Isaiah 26, 8. He, he, wants, he wants his fame to go to the ends of the borders of Stark County, beyond to this nation, to this world. He wants to revive our nation. He wants to revive this land. He wants to do a great work and I'm just telling you, please, like with me, strive and work to stop being fascinated by such garbage in our world and become fascinated with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because he is the only thing worthy of our fascination. I just left my notes completely. So let me collect myself for a moment. So, so, so through this, we, we as a people becoming fascinated with the creator, with the redeeming one, with the one who loved us. Proverbs 30, it, it exemplifies a heart that says, I am only fascinated with you, God. Proverbs 38, 9 says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. God, I don't want anything in my life that would dishonor you. Oh, Jesus, what you've done for me, take it away from me. To think that I would lie against you, to think that I would give falsehood because of what you've done, take it away. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full 
and deny you and say, who is the Lord? It's a heart that's saying, oh man, I'm scared to be rich and I'm scared to be poor. I'm scared of anything that would, would not help me honor you and glorify you with my life. Now, now, some people have read this text. It's like, okay, if I live middle of the road, right? So I'm good. I can, be, I can live a middle-class life, and if I just do that, then I'm good, right? That's not what this text is saying. There, there's a deeper heart message in this text, and the heart message is, I'm a little bit afraid of money. Betty, you got that? Just kidding. Uh, uh, it's okay. You're in Psalm 73. I heard it. And so uh, that's where we're at. That's the main text. And so, but, but there's a heart of this is saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit scared of my money because I, I don't, I know that money competes with God. And so don't, I don't want to be rich that I might not honor you with my wealth, and I might not think I need you. Those that are wealthy, you know that's what money does. It takes us to a place where I think I'm good. I don't, I don't really know what I need God for. And we may not say that with our lips, but we, we might live that way with our lives. And then poverty, he says, oh, that would be, if I were poor, God, what if I, what if I were ever to shake my fist at you and say, why? not trust you, like that grieves my heart. There's this desirous in this man of just saying, I, 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 want to be, I want to be fascinated by you alone, God, and I don't want anything in this world to pry against my heart in this. What is it that you are fascinated with? Is it worthy? Is it worthy of our fascinations? And what I would encourage you, that we're going we're gonna to pray and sing in a little bit, not quite yet, but at the end of the service. And if, if, if you're overly fascinated with something right now, just commit that you're going to come to this altar and you're going to pray and you're going to say, God, help me to be fascinated by you alone. I'll tell you, some of the most significant decisions of my life were made kneeling at an altar and, and prayers just like that of saying, God, forgive me, help me. And so commit with me, will you? If when we opened that book, there was a little bit of like anxiety, like I don't want anybody to know what I'm fascinated with. You don't have to leave here today with that. You can leave here with a commitment, a resolve of saying, I will be fascinated by you, God, alone for the rest of my days because you're the only one worthy of it. And last today, as we look at the text, it says, the text says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. It's a call to resolve our desires and say this a little bit different than fascinations. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Again, my flesh and my heart may fail. The flesh and heart, this outward, right, this outward expression of myself and an inward expression of myself that even if, if my flesh fails, even if my heart fails, even if, if, if outward and inwardly everything falls apart, I'm not going to be hopeless. I'm not going to have heartbreak. I'm, I'm going to place my faith and my trust in you because you are my heart. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, when this hopelessness enters our life, and that's really what he's speaking of here, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, when tragedy and trial strike, hopelessness and heartbreak can come. I told you that those two times, I remember them clearly. 
being in an emergency room, my wife going back, and for some reason, like in the video, it is totally, I don't know, anybody else been there? Your wife goes back, you can't come in, your husband, and they are really mean and rude, and then I'm really mean and rude back, right? But in these moments, there's this hopelessness, like I need to be there, I need to fix this, I need to know what's going on, something so close, something so dear to me is failing, and, and, I, and I, I, I get anxious, and I, I get concerned, and I, by the way, I don't think that's that sinful, I think it's just loving someone, but ultimately underneath that, un, underneath that, what is happening inside of our hearts as we walk through the journey and the struggle, because see, What's really happening isn't our first glance, it's what happens afterwards, the long journey, the long road. See, when this hopelessness enters our life, we have a choice. We can yield to it when our heart and flesh fails. We can yield to the struggle, to the hopelessness. One author said the despondency of our heart. And we can yield to it and enter into misery, depression, and ultimately unbelief. And conclude that God is insufficient, that God is impotent in dealing with my life and with the struggles of my life and my problems. I would say this, that on the positive note, we're going to go here in a minute, but, but I think this is a road many of us choose. My heart and my flesh may fail. And now the author goes, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But oftentimes we go a different route. And we move into depression and anxiety, despondency, hopelessness, heartbreak. And we think that God is insufficient, that he can't do anything, that he's not there. Or we can deal with it and proclaim belief into our hearts. Now, hear me on this. You may feel depressed, but your depression is not true. It is not actual. It is not the real thing. The real thing is there is a God who is seated on high that we can call on at any moment, any time, any day. And although your depression, your anxiety, they feel real to you and they are this thing, but, but for me, what I have to do is I say, no, God, no unbelief, no depression, no anxiety. God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. Ryan Johnston, in those moments, I need some truth spoken into my heart and my life. I need someone mainly the Lord, to say to me, hey, stop it, joker. Like, you need me. And in this moment of your depression, you thinking everything has gone awry and everything's not working out, Ryan, I got this. Even if everything fails and even if your wife doesn't come back out of this room, I still have you. I remember when when my brother was just... Four or five days away, we had this 40-minute recording with him. And one of the most profound things that Mark said is he said, you know, right as I was getting ready to, he goes, you know, as I, as I knew death was coming. And he goes, I, I came to this place where I, I began to realize that I was really anxious about what's going to happen to my wife and Paige and Emma and Mitch, his kids. And I began to really be concerned about this, and it was causing me anxiety. And then he goes, I realized, Mark, how how arrogant is that for you to think that their life hinges on you? And he said, "How, how little did I think of God, that he can't take care of my wife, that he can't take care of my kids, that he can't take care of these things. See, what 
my brother went through was a process of belief. Depression and anxiety creeped in, and he wasn't proclaiming what he needed in his heart. See, we live in a day and a time where we think that our feelings are paramount and how we feel is the most important thing and feelings, feelings, feelings. I told my girls all the time, I don't even have feelings. Like, I don't, they don't even exist, no. And then, but it's all about feelings. And you know what? Our feelings are real. They are real. I mean, in those moments of trial and struggle and suffering, there is a real sadness that comes. I can identify with that. It, it is real. But see, truth is real also. And the truth is that God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. And we may live in a day where everybody laughs and scoffs at God, but I'll tell you this, that he is my strength and my portion forever. And I can tell you that, one, because the Bible says so and I believe it is true and I believe it is God's eternal word and never returns void and it has never returned void in my own heart and my life. And when the truth of God's word is proclaimed into my heart, I have hope I have peace, even in the midst of great trial and struggle. And what we need is we need truth proclaimed into the depths of our soul, remembering that we have a strong tower, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. What is true What is true is that the Lord is a strong tower. His name is a strong tower. And when we run into it, literally willfully place ourselves into the strong tower, it doesn't just magically happen. It's something we press into, proclaiming what is true into our hearts. What happens is we run into it and we are safe. No matter what trial, no matter what struggle we go through. See, what, is, what this is speaking of is an eternal, internal resiliency that exists no matter what struggle, no matter what strife comes our way. Resiliency that has come out of resolving in our hearts, our audience, our fascinations, and our desires. See, there is no other strong tower, but there may be strong cities that we have built up in this room this morning. See, because I don't think money is the only strong city that we build up. Other hopes and dreams and fascinations of what will provide for us. And honestly, the text simply says anything else that we have placed our faith in is just something we have imagined. And at best, it's a mirage. Again, the text says... Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Living a generous life, living a generous life, is simply resolving, resolving in our heart and our life that which is our strong tower. And who is your strong tower? Who is it? that you stand before every day when you wake and when you go to sleep, who is it that you recognize that you stand before alone? Who is it that you are fascinated with? Who is it that you desire more than anything else? Might we resolve this morning as a people, and I believe as we resolve these questions, the generous life that Jesus has for us, 
of our time, treasures, talents, totality of who we are, living with him as our Lord and our master. See, resolving these three things are critical. Because if we don't resolve these things, we will constantly be fascinated by things unworthy of our fascination. We will constantly live before all kinds of audiences rather than the one that is worthy of standing before moment by moment and day by day. We will constantly desire things that we weren't built to desire. And ultimately, the benefit for us is there is a peace that endures through the natural sufferings of this world and the willful sufferings that God will lead us down as we live faithful lives for him. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to open the altars as we sing. And might we come, kneel, confess, pray this morning as God leads. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Jesus, we believe that you are worthy of all of our lives. Jesus, you are the one who loved us so much that you entered into this world longing that we might be reconciled, restored, brought back in relationship with you, to have peace, to have life as you created us. And Lord, we recognize this morning, we recognize this morning that we've, we've lived before too many audiences trying to please this person and that person and just recognizing, Lord, it is futile. It's pointless. But Lord, we stand before you, an audience of one. You know every move we make. We know you know everything we do. Lord, we recognize this morning that we, we are overly fascinated with too many things that are not worthy of our fascination. Only you are worthy to be consumed with to long for, to desire. Lord, would you, would you help us to resolve this morning that we are going to be fascinated with you alone. Oh God, our desire, might it be you. Help us to resolve this morning that though our heart and our flesh, our inward and our outward bodies, even though they may completely fail, you are the strength of our heart. You are our portion forever. You are sufficient. You are enough. We need nothing else than you. And Lord, maybe ultimately our response, help us today just to be people that say, God, help us not to do anything, lie or of any deceit within us. Let's not to value our riches above you or, or be in poverty that we might not honor you, but in, in all things, God, that in this life that we might glorify you with the life we've been given to the highest. Lord, as we sing, as we commit this morning, help us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand. And as you stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to ask you to come, kneel down, pray, confess, find healing. Don't leave here today without dealing with the things that God has spoken into your heart.